Folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October 30th, 2013, and this is episode 1,237 of the Survival Podcast. 1237, I got a good one for you today. I got Michael Evans hanging on the line. He's from America's Voice Now, a nationally syndicated radio host. America's Voice Now is a show uh, with a hard-hitting, no-holds-barred look at current political events and news. And uh, Michael delivers a truth and critical thinking while exposing mainstream media propaganda. So he should fit in pretty well here at TSP. I'll have him in just a moment. Before I bring him on, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Chef Keith Snow with HarvestEating.com. I cook with Chef Keith seasonings at least two to three times a week. I have a guest coming over tonight, by the way, to talk about a piece of land he owns for permaethos, for those of you that have been paying attention to that. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I'll be making steaks for him, and you can bet I'll be using Chef Keith Snow steak seasoning because it is one of my favorite things. I also like his grilled chicken, the northern Italian, and the low and slow barbecue. But he doesn't just have seasonings. He has a podcast, videos, a great cookbook, and a great members program. Check it out today at harvesting.com. Learn to cook seasonally and locally and learn how cooking is a life skill and a survival skill. If you've ever had to live on MREs for about six months, you get a inkling of what it's like to be able to cook and how important it might be when you're dealing with limited resources. Next up today, herbs of a different kind, Western Botanicals. Every herb you will find at Western Botanicals is either organically grown or wildcrafted. And they have everything, and I mean everything you could ever need for your herbal needs when it comes to making sure that you're taking care of yourself and doing so in natural, holistic ways. If you need something, they've got it. If you need something and you don't know what it is, call them and they'll help you figure it out, including at times telling you, you know, for this, it's not really an herbal thing. Or maybe this herbal uh, preparation or this herb in particular might be supportive of you, but this is something you should see a medical doctor for. They're not the kind of person that's going to tell you that parsley cures cancer or some nonsense like that. That. Real people that really care about you. If you uh, are an MSB member, I got even better news for you with Western Botanicals. How'd you like to save 25% off everything they sell? They have a discount membership program they sell for $50 a year that does just that. Give them a call. Uh, follow the instructions in the benefits area of your MSP, and they will give you that membership for free, and you'll then save 25% on everything you order, meaning that one benefit pays for the entire cost of your MSB for the first year. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. On that note, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll support my show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. And uh, you'll get great discounts like the ones I just talked about. You'll get a lot of other great content and some other really cool benefits. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service. And first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters. All of you guys qualify for a discount. Email me with service discount in the subject line. Send your email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com in one or two sentences. Tell me who you are and what you're doing, or if your prior service, what you did uh, in your service as one of those first responders or frontline personnel. With that, I'm ready to get into the main topic of today's show. Let's start out with the year 1237 in our history segment. Not a lot going on, but a few things I think you might find of note. Talked about fire yesterday. Well, a major fire in 1237 
destroyed 30,000 dwellings in the Chinese capital city of Hangzhou. Uh, and England and Scotland signed the Treaty of York, establishing the location of their common border. England and Scotland agreed to the border in 1237. It gives you a little perspective on history. We think of the times here in America, the colonial times and the revolutionary times, as being a long time ago. Uh, but in other parts of the world, a lot of things that are still in place happened quite a bit longer ago, and culture goes back quite a bit further. That's just one example. If you want to know more about the year 1237, there'll be a link in today's show notes to do just that. Before I bring our guest Michael Evans on, I want to let you know that on Tuesday next week, I will be at Mulligan Mint for an open house. Uh, there's been a lot of hubbub going on since the Mint you know, went into bankruptcy, basically to try to, to, uh, to make it through the other side of this battle. I mean, that's just all it comes down to. Um, I put out a post this morning if you want to know about what's going on and how you can help or if you'd like to come out and see things for yourself. And if you're local and you've been wanting to order some silver or some copper and you're like, I just don't feel good about placing an order right now, come to this open house and you can buy what they have available uh, cash on hand uh, right there and walk out the door with it. So come on by the Mulligan Men Open House Tuesday. There will be details again on the uh Website today, the survivalpodcast.com and at mulliganmint.com. Tuesday next week, I'll be there. Hope to see many of you guys along, uh, with, uh, with Rob and some other really cool folks that are going to be there. Uh, with that, I do have the, uh, housekeeping wrapped up today and I'd like to introduce at this time our special guest, Michael Evans, the founder of America's Voice Now and nationally syndicated radio show host. Uh, hey, Michael, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thanks, Jack. I'm glad to be here with you today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, you are the founder of America's Voice Now. You're a syndicated radio host. Um, other than that, I, I usually like to start people out here before we get into the topic, which today we're going to talk about the police state, NSA spying, buildup of surveillance in America, some really important topics that we've been talking about a lot lately. Um, but, you know, most people don't grow up with the idea of I'm going to be a homesteader or I'm going to be a radio host or whatever. They generally get where, wherever they end up in this kind of crooked path. And I kind of like to let guests just initially tell the audience, you know, how did you end up being the host of a syndicated radio show? Was that your goal when you were eight years old or did, like most of us, you wanted to be a fireman or something and ended up here in a, in a kind of a strange walk? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that because... I actually started doing radio purely as a freak thing. I worked above a radio station, and they said to me, would you mind sitting in on on an episode one day? And, and we have one of our hosts that's away. And I, I, I grabbed the opportunity. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And it became something that they asked me to do on a fairly routine basis. And then they, they approached me and said, hey, we've got a guy who would like to uh, have a sidekick on a show for, for on Saturdays for three hours. Three hours is more than one guy can handle. And I thought to myself, well, gee whiz, I could do that alone. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, that's exactly what I did. I, I started working the show with him. It almost became my show. And then he called me up one day. He said, hey, listen, i got to take my son to traveling baseball. He's uh, you know, a sophomore in high school, and I can't do the show anymore. Do you want to keep it or cancel it? I said, I'm keeping it. <laughs> and uh, there it was. It was born. And wow. So I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, my My motivation for doing it is I... I kind of was sitting around listening to what, you know, the, the, the dialogue that I hear. And it was like nobody's really, everybody kind of covers the surface of this stuff, but nobody's really digging into the truth of what's, re the motivations of what's really happening. And they're, they're not using critical thinking skills to 
analyze below just the surface. I mean, it's like sitting there, you know, on the on the on the Atlantic Ocean, and and scraping away the top three inches of the of the water surface, and then wondering why you're not really getting any real, you know, understanding of what's happening beneath the surface. And so, I felt like one of the best things I could do was draw analogies for people and help them to read between the lines, to look between what they're being told and what's the real motivation for that. Well, and before we get into some of the stuff that we have lined out to talk about, just listening to you talk and reading your background, it's clear to me that at this point you're probably you know, a political agnostic or atheist is a lot of ways that people describe themselves when they, they no longer really trust either party. Um, it was, is that true? And if so, was it always the case or did you, you know, like me, I at one time actually ran for state office as a Republican. Um, and, and you know, today I would classify myself as a minarchist libertarian barring on anarchism. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've gone that far in the spectrum, but I mean, did you, did you maybe start in one wing of what I call the dichotomy and, and, and end up where you are because of what you've learned and seen along the way? I would say to a certain extent, yes. I was always a, a more conservative thinker in terms of my political ideal, ideology. Um, I never quite felt confident or trustworthy of the Republican mantra, but I always kind of leaned in that direction. But as I've seen the Republican Party migrate from, the, you know, from what I perceived it to be in my youthful ignorance to uh, from, you know, the idea that they were really looking to represent us to the concept that and the, and the unfortunate dawning on, you know, reality of that they are not here to represent us. They represent themselves, and we are essentially a food supply for them. Um, I, I became more and more disillusioned with the principles associated with not the principles, but the fact that they don't follow the principles that they espouse. You can't, you know, you can't be in a position where you're saying one thing um, and then, but ultimately, you and the other, in this case, the Democratic Party ultimately have the same goals. They just approach those goals from different angles. In other words, it's like sitting there trying to get to the top of the diamond, and both of them are walking up different facets, but ultimately their goal is the subjugation and enslavement of the human race under their rule. It's true, and it's exactly how I feel, and I've always said that both parties have great marketing. Um, when it comes to marketing, whatever they're marketing and making it sound like it's good for you. But when you just said that, that we're their food... The, the image that popped into my head, and maybe because I'm a, a permaculturist and always dealing with setting up natural systems, is they're a fungus. Yeah. You know, I, they're a fungus literally decomposing the fabric of America, which is you and me. Right. I actually reference them as a cancer or a virus. <laughs> and, you know, literally. A fungus is more useful than, yeah, than, than a cancer. Right. So, yeah, that's, more, that's probably more accurate. Nothing good comes from cancer, right? And ultimately, yeah. what's happened is they have metastasized and they've become systemic. And the problem is that at this stage in the game, after 150 years of complete and total utter rule, and remember now, there has not been a single representative in the, in the government on a federal level outside of the Republican. There's never, been a, there's never been a libertarian candidate. There's never been a constitutional candidate that's actually ever won an election. There are a few independents, but even those, they generally call themselves independents only because their party won't support them or they had to, you know, they get primaried out, but they're popular enough to still win. And then they caucus with their party. Exactly. And yeah. even those who, who, you know, flip parties do the same thing. Right. Yeah. But yeah. ultimately they've become this cancer that has essentially metastasized and is now embedded in our bones and our organs. And 
we can't even excise them with a surgical knife at this point because in order to do that, we'd have to actually kill the patient, which is the union. And so what we end up with is this this terrible tragedy where we have to constantly keep, uh, you know, imbibing in in the chemotherapy, if you will, which is ultimately to try to kill them, which is killing us. It's unfortunate, but I don't really see and and ultimately I don't see a real long term political solution here. I no, think, I, I see I almost no political solution. The, the only solution I see is their ultimate failure. But along the way, a dying beast becomes dangerous. Exactly, and, and you, that leads me to my kind of my my you know purpose for getting you on the air today and to get into what's going on with surveillance. And it's my feeling that the United States is currently becoming the largest police state to ever exist and being turned into what I think you've called an authoritarian surveillance police state. Uh, is that where you think we're headed? Because it's where I think it, and a lot of other people that not so long ago thought that was ridiculous now look at it today and go, yeah, that's where we're going. You know, I, I was born and raised on the East Coast. And, um, I, you know, back when I was a younger fella, I, I always had very strong political leanings along the ideas of the fact that we we were living in a in a state where we were slowly but surely sliding into fascism or tyranny. And I don't believe it's socialism, and I don't believe it's communism. The brand that we're running for, that we are racing towards, is fascism. Because we have all of the, all of the uh, factors in place for fascism to be the ultimate, the ultimate end result of all of this. And one of the aspects of fascism is that you have a police state that rules with an iron fist domestically within your own, you know, your own nation. And you create phantom enemies that you can constantly manipulate the population with. You you utilize the Ministry of Propaganda, which has now become our mainstream media, um, to you to manipulate and and subvert and misdirect the public. You know, we just passed a law, uh, not not more than a couple of months back now, and I did an entire show about it, where the United States government has by by rule change, by the way not even a law passage, but by a rule change, has eliminated the Smith-Munt uh, Act, which was passed in 1947, to block the use of propaganda against American citizens domestically. And we are now allowing the use of government-sponsored, government-infiltrated, and it doesn't even have to be infiltrated anymore. Now it's just interleaved in the news. So we never know anymore whether what we're hearing is true news or if it is Nothing more than what you would call Pravda drivel during the days of the of the Soviet uh, the Soviet domination. What we have is a is a government that is working towards the ultimate goal of having total dictatorial control over the entire populace, and they're utilizing specific tools for that, including the NSA and all the spy scandal issues, the the advent of Obamacare, where they are building dossiers on every single American. And they're utilizing these information gateways. You know, the Obamacare hub, the data hub, where you're required to input all of your information. This is the ability for them to capture a lot of the information which ordinarily they can't get through the NSA methodologies. And with all due respect, you know, the, the Obamacare system runs on a platform which is designed and owned by the CIA. The, the infrastructure I'm talking about, the operating system. And when, when you look at the, in, the involvement that the federal government has with all of this information and what they're using with it, when you submit your data into the hub, 
and you're putting your name and your address, your social security number, your date of birth, all of your health care information, all of your taxation information, your, st- your status as a citizen and your citizenship info, they submit that off to the, C- to the, uh, to the Social Security Administration to verify that, you know, that, that SSI is, is a legitimate number for you and that you're really an American citizen, to the IRS to verify your income, to your employer to verify your employment status and whether or not they provide insurance for you and so forth and so on. But they're capturing all of this data, and this makes up the, the void and the hole that they have in the other aspects of the uh, data hub or, or in the dossiers that they are building on you with phone calls, voicemails, emails, all of the, uh, the telecommunications connections that you make. And when you take that in totality, all of the information that they're scraping off your social networks and all of that, coupled with the fact that they can now combine that with your income and your health insurance records and everything else, you have a almost an entire total picture of an individual's life. And with that, you can create an enormous database of enemies or potential enemies or those who are in your way, if you will. And when we look at things like, you know, the, the classification of drone strikes against American citizens and the NDAA and some of the things that are going on there, it, it's circumstantial, I'll admit. But if I were to sit and lay it out as a prosecutor in a courtroom, I guarantee I'd get a conviction. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I, before we go forward with some of the things that are going on, I want to back up to a couple of things that you, you said and get your thoughts on them. First of all, I've been basically saying this, this country is a fascist state since I got on the air in 2008. And a lot of people have a real hard time with that because they picture swastikas in, in, in concentration camps in Germany. And my caveat to that has always been that's one thing one fascist state did. And fascism is everything you said it is, but at its core, it's an economic system. And it's an economic system used to control people. In a textbook, classic fascist state, you have government and corporatocracy working together and using the differences between the classes as leverage points to further the agenda of both the corporatocracy and the state. The difference is in classic fascism, the state is the one pulling the strings and telling the corporations what to do. In our modern form of fascism, we flip that round. It's why I call it neo-fascism, where the corporatocracy is actually in charge of the government. The system is the same, the net result is the same, and the government is the one with the jackbooted thugs. But in some ways, it's even worse because you now have the companies writing their own legislation. Right, and, and 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 that is 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 something I want you to talk about. And then the other thing is, you talked about Ministry of Propaganda, and you know you don't know whether it's the truth or not. What's even worse, I think, in today's society is how the the the, the facts are framed. So the news can actually report what is factual, but the framing of the facts leads you to draw conclusions that are not. So right. those are two things I pulled out of what you were just saying, and I'd like your thoughts on those before we move into some of these specifics. Sure. Well, when you talk about the way that, that, that uh, government characterizes and couches things, that's where you have the opportunity to manipulate. While the facts remain the same, it's the way in which you present them. You know, And, and, and what we see today is the, the, the mainstream media, or I, I always refer to them as MOP, the Ministry of Propaganda, because the way that they are manipulating the American people is by simply either omission or lies of omission, or they characterize it in such a way that they they 
are, are disdainful of those principles that you and I grew up with, the ideas of being loyal to your country, the ideas of having a border that is sealed, the ideas of being uh, self-reliant and self-sufficient, the idea of small government, the idea of self-governance, right? Those are, and the, and, and the, and the, the dismissal of grassroots as a legitimate um, uh, rising up, if you will, of the general populace. When you look at the treatment that they give as an example to the Tea Party, and I, I don't even care whether you like or dislike the Tea Party. I'm just using them as an example. Sure. The way, the way in which they treat the Tea Party is with utter disdain. And the reason they do that is because it's part of the concept of belittling the opposition. And, and if, you've ever, if you've ever seen the way in which, um, uh, as an example, they'll treat people who disagree with them at public events and things like that, you'll see that the, the idea is to belittle that, that organization or that person in front of everyone else and make everyone else feel like, oh, I don't want to claim I'm part of that because then I'll be, I'll be tossed under the bus with them. And so when you look at, at the idea of how they, they portray not only those groups, but they are calling groups like Christians to be uh, extremists and those people who hand out constitutions to be extremists and to be domestic terrorists, the, the, or if you vote for Ron Paul, yeah, I mean, right? voting for Ron Paul and have a, a guy that ran for the Republican nomination that if years ago the Missouri uh, Police Department think tank thing came out and one of the things to identify radicals and extremists and potential terrorists was a Ron Paul bumper sticker and that was in an official document. And again, I'm not even saying whether you like Ron Paul or not. I'm just saying what you're saying that that, that that's positively ridiculous. It's the demonization of an individual or a group. And if you look at one of the principles of fascism, it's a system of government where the centralization of authority is always, you know, federal in its sense, right? And it, and it provides for these like very, uh, tight, uh, economic controls, which leads you, which points you in the direction of Obamacare as an example, and the EPA, and all of these organizations that are for all intents and purposes, extra constitutional in their nature. And I can get into that with you in a moment. Every, every administrative agency is extra constitutional. There's not a, there's not an ounce of constitutional authority in any of them. And when you look at the principles, the suppression of the opposition through the idea of, of either censorship or demonization or terrorism itself. In other words, government sponsored terrorism towards that individualized group. They project this idea of of a, of a government that is under attack by individuals who seek to do nothing other than restore their nation back to some foundational principle of what everyone who grew up in that nation knew, right? Correct. And, and, they, and they belittle that individual or that group, and they call you belligerent and dangerous and toxic and racist. And, and at the same time, their marketing is that the country is what this person's trying to make it. Exactly. And, and, you know, now, to, as an example, if you take a look at, at the modern issue of, of, of immigration, right? When you look at immigration, one of the things that we see there is that everything is couched as a, as a moral issue now, right? Because when, and, and you'll notice this, by the way, with people who don't generally have their own opinion formed. I'm a big, I'm a big critical thinking. And critical thinking requires that you, one, have your own opinion, and you have your own biases that you inherently have as you grow older and your own experiences develop. But then you must, in order to be intellectually honest, you have to observe 
what the opposition thinks or or practices so that one you are confirmed that your beliefs are are accurate and correct number one number two that you are learning and understanding what your opponent is utilizing and thinking as their and and the way that in which they're utilizing their their thought processes and their beliefs as a weapon in in the argument against you and then thirdly it enables you to have a good solid foundational understanding of who you are and what you believe and, and more importantly why you believe it one thing that i think you'll find about uh, about a lot of the liberal uh, and progressive folks out there and and even a lot of the conservative folks if you ask them why they believe something, they can't actually give you a true opinion of that. What they do is they, they parrot someone else's opinion that either made sense or was, you know, re- remained in their synapses rolling around in there. And the truth of the matter is, if you truly understand the, the issues and the implications of what's going on around you, then you don't really need to repeat and portray or parrot someone else's opinion. You've, you've used You've gathered enough information to make your own informed decisions, and therefore you formulated your own opinion. And I'm a big fan of that because I, I truly believe that one of the biggest problems that you see today is if you try to have a, an intellectual discussion with anyone on the liberal side, as soon as logic and reason show them a dead end in their positioning, they immediately default to the emotional, almost right. invariably. And you can watch it actually happen. I, I, I encourage people to actually exercise their critical thinking skills by going in and having a discussion with someone who they know they're in opposition to and actually have a discussion with them where they are um, they're utilizing the arguments that they that they know that they believe in and that they know have credibility and, and uh, substance. And then watch what happens as soon as that person who really doesn't have a solid understanding and foundation for why they believe what they believe, as soon as they get cornered, they immediately default to the, to the logic or to the illogical argument and the emotional. And then they become, they become, you know, a, 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 a psychophant for the idea. Well, it's all, it's all a moral issue. You know, we can't yeah. bust babies out of the country. No, I'm not suggesting that we do, but I am <laughs> suggesting that we seal the border and we stop the bleeding first. We go into triage mode. We lock down the border. And after that, we have a one-year period where everyone who's illegal has an obligation to register. And those that don't at the end of that can be tossed out of here summarily on their rear end. Now, if you are legitimately interested in becoming an American citizen, at that point, you'll step up, come out of the shadows and sign up and say, I'm here and I'll, I'll go through whatever process you want me to go through to, to stay. But if you don't do that, then we're going to toss you. And you've got a year to make that decision. And you've got a year to decide how you're going to conduct the remainder of your natural life within our borders. You've broken the law to get in here, and there's going to be a penalty. You're going to have to stand up and be a man about it. The problem is that they'll immediately turn around and say, you just want to tear apart families, and how are you going to throw grandpa out? What are you going to do with these grand? It has nothing to do with that. You can't sit there and tell me. I mean, if I'm going to take well, that. Well, here's how I take that. Let's, let's say that um, I, I am a good father, and I have a lot of children, and, and I take good care of them, and I've been a good provider for them, Right. But I happen to commit some crimes. Like I break into your house, steal your t- TV, vandalize your home, uh, and I do that to several other people. And I'm, I'm guilty of burglary and grand larceny and auto theft. And I'm guilty of some crimes, right? Now, I'm not I'm not making it equivalent that, you know, coming here illegally is equivalent to stealing somebody's car. But it is still a crime. It is still illegal. It's still breaking the law of the land. Telling somebody in a, you know, in a court of law 
at that point, hey, you're breaking up a family because you're taking me out of my home, and I've always been a good father, is not a justification for me not suffering a consequence for violation of the law. And it wouldn't be in any other scenario. But on that note, I think we've created a system where, of course, they come here. Right. The judge is going to to look at you and say, well, you should have thought of that before you broke into the dude's house. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd, and rightly so. You see, it's amazing to me how how people who classify themselves as legalists, right? In other words, they're for law and order and they're mainstream Americans and they believe that, you know, it's wrong to steal and, and, and it's wrong to, to do all these things that everybody kind of inherently knows is against the law and, and unethical as well. And yet they will sit there and defend on a moral principle a, an individual who has violated our sovereignty as a nation and then expects us to be willing to sit there and has the hubris to say, not only am I demanding that you let me stay here, I'm demanding that I get to bring my entire family with me and that you support us until we get on our feet, if at all. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that is intellectually dishonest at its core. And it means to me that they are not utilizing their critical thinking skills. They're using emotion as a, as a, you know, a, a train, if you will, to ride to a destination. They don't really have the wherewithal and the ability to sit down and intellectually determine how and why they got there. Well, and see, this that's a, a symptom of a bigger cause, and I want to drag this back into where we were going with the beginning, because you, know, you and I get off on politics, and we could probably sit here for three hours and discuss the, right. all of these things. But the critical thinking issue is what leads to all of the other things. So I can point to, you know, you're primarily focusing on liberals here, but I can focus on the mainstream conservative and make the same arguments with different issues. Absolutely. And, and if we do that, you and I will be here for hours and we won't get to this core, which is, and, and this, is, this is a good lesson for people, right? You and I agree on 90%. We're, we're teetering on going down this, this road and ignoring this giant problem in the middle, and you and I are educated to this. So people that aren't, We'll always end up down that rabbit hole and then not come back to like what I'm going to ask you next. When we look at this police state, and there, I, there's some conspiracy theorists out there that are freaking nuts, right? There are people that you're like, no. And there are people, my question with a the conspiracy theorist is, there, is there any conspiracy theory you don't believe? When they don't have one, I question them. But when it comes to surveillance and what I call like the, the conspiracy theorist that's, that's not completely foil hat wrapped, have these guys been right all along about what this government's doing with tracking people and building these networks and the goal and the agenda behind it? Well, you know, I was talking about Echelon and Carnivore before anyone, before, first of all, they even acknowledged their existence. And, you know, that's going back into the 90s, right? And I was defined as a tinfoil hat, you know, uh, guy way out, way out there. The truth, of course, is that now tinfoil hats are in vogue because it's apparent that they're doing this everywhere. And, and it's not just, I mean, their justification for it to be against terrorism doesn't hold water. It's like they're trying to carry water in a, in a colander. Because if they're, in, if they're sitting there and monitoring Angela Merkel's cellular telephone, and she's an alleged you know, ally of ours and the, and the presidents of Brazil and France, how do you justify that based on terrorism? I mean, are you telling me that Angela Merkel and the Germans are in the back plotting against the United States? I mean, it's ridiculous. And to sit and classify, you know, I did an article on our website, americasvoicenow.org, about how, you know, utilizing this, the, 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 uh, the principles of six points or six degrees of separation 
everyone can be tied back to someone else who's nefarious or has a nefarious plan or or, or is you know suspicion uh, is is a suspicion uh, person. And the idea that you know we can all sit around here and and allow this to continue to go on and say and accept it in stride is inescapably dishonest on its face. You cannot, first of all, I've challenged my listeners on a routine basis, and I say this all the time. You find me one example of how you as an individual will benefit from government having all of this knowledge and information and data on you. And I'll I'll give you $100 cash. I want one example of how you are going to benefit. Sure. I don't want to hear how the government benefits or how it's how it, it general it benefits the whole of society. I want to hear how you personally are going to benefit by anyone having that kind of data, that volume, that scope and depth of data about you and who you are. And I guarantee I've not got a taker yet because it you can't defend the indefensible. There's no position or argument that makes logical sense for that kind of for that limit of of uh, of you know knowledge and to be honest with you let's be candid the people who have access to that are not exactly the the type of people that I would consider trustworthy to have that level of information no no i mean i think if you ask people and you put together a list of 100 occupations everything from school teacher to priest to nun to lawyer to doctor to landscaper and and on there you put politician and uh, high-level government worker is two of them. That They would rate very near both of them, very near the bottom of who the average person that lets this stuff go on would rank in their trust ranking from 1 to 100. You know, they'd be in the 90s or worse, right? The very bottom at 100. And then they turn around and trust them. And then they share that with other entities who we don't even know. I mean, sharing this information with foreign governments. You know, you talk about Real ID and that little gold star on your driver's license that you have to get under the Real ID. They're sharing your personal information, your identifying information, and everything about you with foreign governments. The Correct. principle is, is globalism, right? The end game here is not the end of, is not to to um, to build a a uh, a better United States. The idea here is to build a world without restraint, where a small group or a, a clique or an oligarchy of elitists are essentially ruling everybody. And there's a couple of tiers to that, but we're creating a global caste system. You know, absolutely like system of India, right? Where you've yeah. got this small oligarchy of of people who are at the top making all the decisions. And they are delegating or subdelegating that authority down to a, a you know a, a group of people who recognize that their bread is buttered on that side of the of the political fence, and then they are willing and happily able to subjugate everyone below them. And human nature is corrupt in its in its in its rawest form. I mean, you know, listen the the people who ran the people who ran the Stasi, the people who ran Nazi Germany, the people who ran. And, and worked for Stalin and, and Pol Pot and, and Mao Zedong, they all went home and hugged their children, too. And, and the, you know, the idea that, that you know, people won't descend to that level is ridiculous. Of course, of course it is. Of course and, it and we is. don't have to look far for examples of it. You see police in the United States of America acting as, as, as a, you know, a, 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 almost a, in, a, in a dangerous level of, of militarization and subjugation of the public. I mean... 
get pulled over for a traffic ticket and get and get a little mouthy with the cop. And it's not that you got mouthy with him. What what bothers them is that you challenged his authority. You challenged their authority in any way, shape, or form. That you're supposed to do whatever they say, whether they have the authority to tell you to do it or not. Right. And, and, and that's that's even worse, because now it's presumed authority to be the dictator. Well, and they've been trained to be that way. They've been conditioned to be that way. The federal government has been training local law enforcement at various levels for heavily for a decade and going back at least two decades with a lot of significance. They want them that way. You remember when they were called peace officers? Correct. You remember yeah. when, they, when on the side of the car it said to protect and serve, not law enforcement? Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, you know, I'm dating myself here, but I mean, the truth is that our our police, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my, your parents would say to you, if you ever get lost, go find a cop. They'll help you. You know, and so yeah. I got to wonder whether or not that's true. No, they'll true. arrest your parents for having let you get out of sight. You know? Possibly. And here's another thing that you, you kind of talked about. And I don't think anybody's really seeing this for, for, for what it is today. So you talk about like Obama's administration tapping the, the phones of other world leaders like Merkel. And people see that and go, this is how this is how bad we're becoming. But I don't think people see the, the real totality of how bad this really is. I, I guarantee you these other governments are doing the same thing to us. And, and, and what you have now, as you move toward a globalization, I, I consider most of the governments of the world to be uh, today the analogous to uh, organized criminal families. Right. So, you know, you got, you know, we, the Gambucci's here and, you know, over there. And, and what you've got now is world government where – the pie is now being, instead of cut up, put back together. And the, the, the criminal families that have basically been at peace with each other are starting to go to war with each other because as the pie is reassembled, each wants to know how much of it they're still going to control. Right. So as long as you know, you know, Jimmy was down on the Lower East Side and Tommy was up on the Upper West Side, there was a stasis in the criminal activity, and they got along with each other. But as they begin to consolidate and overlap their territories, the, the criminals that have been in cahoots stop trusting each other. Exactly. And that's, that's scary because it tells you how close they are to what we fear. Right. And, and, and you've got to recognize that in that war, collateral damage is fully accepted. I mean, oh, absolutely. They, they couldn't care less about who, you know, who, who wins or loses as long as it's – and who's in the way, Right. And so we, as a, as a collective group, the citizenry, which is now you know considered the new peasantry, if you will, uh, or we're the, we're the subjects. You know, we're caught up in this battle, which is almost you know it, it, it reminds me of the early days of fiefdom, where you know you had lords and ladies, and and you know if the king if the king if caught you hunting on his ground, he could kill you. Not it didn't matter that you were starving. It it only mattered that you were taking one deer that he's in a forest he's never even been in. Or, you know, if the if the lord of the manor decides that he's going to sleep with your wife on your wedding day, that's his prerogative to do. I mean, that's the kind of mentality that we're talking about here. And, it, you know, you don't have to – I mean, our politicians today, while they have – while they've moderated their behavior in some ways, they've found loopholes to get around it. When you look at these packs that they're currently loading up, these packs are loaded up with, with uh, bribery, really. Uh, you can call it lobbying, but it's bribery. And they live the life of, I mean, literally kings and queens on, on you know, and, and you can't tell me that these people aren't corrupted and, and they're not, you know, they haven't been compromised by the wealth and the power. They have. I mean, there's no other reason why you would be in the Senate for 30 or 40 years or in the House for 50. I mean, it, it's insane to think that 
and and then on top of that, those who few who might not have been corrupted, those people that are then looked at by the NSA who says this is what we've got on you, and we're going to show this picture to your wife of you in a in a you know a Georgetown bar while she was back in you know in Wyoming, right? Of you with a, a a woman who's not your wife, or maybe you know we got you at a party and you got a straw up your nose, or you got a problem with little girls or little boys or whatever their thing is, or maybe they caught you in a dirty real estate deal by listening and reading your email. The point is. They're then going back to those people and saying, this is what you're going to do. And if you don't do that, we're going to release this information. And the truth of the matter is human nature is feeble enough that they will pretty much capitulate to whatever they're told to do under circumstances. It's, it's worse because this is what I can do as, as, as a government operative if I need to leverage you. Let's say I dig into you and you're clean. I, I go into Michael Evans, and I can't find anything. I can't find a dirty real estate deal. I can't find a photo of you with a straw up your nose. But I've got a complete record of your life and everybody that you touch and everybody that you associate with and everything that's near and dear to you. And then if I really want to, I can create evidence that matches your profile that the people closest to you would believe as plausible. Exactly. So, so if you work with little kids, I can create text messages and computer records that line up with times that you would have been alone, that your wife would say, well, he would have had time to do that, right? Right. right. That, that make it look like you're in a child porn and probably molesting these kids. And, and, and you can even just throw it into the public discourse and then let, let the damage, you know. I don't even have to. I just have to tell you, we could do this. And whether, when you know you're innocent, you know the court of public opinion. And right. you know I can destroy your life, even if you're eventually vindicated. Only what will be remembered is the bad. And at that point, I can leverage you to do whatever I want. Exactly. And that's the problem with, with politics. In, in its, in its, you know, and it's not just politics, by the way. You know, these are people who run businesses. These are the people who are making our policy. These are people who are, these are lawyers. They're judges. These are the people who, for all intents and purposes, have make up the threads of the fabric of our justice and society, our justice system and our society. And when you have the ability to manipulate every aspect of every area, you know, you, there's no way that you can possibly fail at that, at, at subjugation, because if you can't get to one, if you can't get to the judge, then you get to the lawyer. And if you can't get to the lawyer, you get to the prosecutor. And if you can't get to the prosecutor, you know, I mean, there's always somebody who's going to fall. And when they do, they're going to take everything else down with it. And they really don't care what what the what the losses are, the, the collateral losses. They're just only interested in the protectionism of making sure that they continue along in whatever arena they're in. And the greatest evil is always done by someone that's convinced it's necessary for the greater good. That what they're really doing is is necessary in the end to to save other lives. I'll I'll kill a hundred to save a thousand. Right. Um, if I'm if but I'm negotiating with somebody, the States of it, America to save to save the babies, we have to save the children. So we have the right to disarm you know three 125 million Americans if we can just save one life. Yeah. There's yeah. the argument right there, you know. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Stop right there. How many lives are saved because of firearms? You neglect that whole argument. So you're absolutely right, and that's exactly how it's done.
So on, on these dossiers that are developing on every American, we've touched on this now, but you know, the average citizen asks themselves, well, why are they doing this? Because, okay, I might want to leverage Michael Evans. You have a, a large platform. Somebody might want to leverage Jack Spierko. I have a large platform. Um, when I was in business, they might have wanted to leverage me for my business connections. There's people out there that you can say, okay, I could see why you would want leverage on this person. But, you know, why would they want to leverage the 63-year-old grandmother who's learned how to use the Internet to communicate with her children? Uh, you know, she doesn't have anything. Uh, why would they want to do this on every single American instead of being selective and saying this is a group of people to target? Because it's not just a question of leverage. It's also a question of being able to the, – the federal government uses one skill extraordinarily well, and that is the skill of turning people into informants. And, and, and for that, in that regard, you only have to be innocent. You don't have to have, be guilty of anything. So you can take people and, say, and apply pressure to them and say, look, if we want to get to you, all we've got to do is, is either get you for this or, or, or release this information about you. And we're, we're not willing to do that. We don't want to hurt you. So what, what we want you to do is we want you to come work for us. We want you to tell on somebody else. We want to know who in your family has a weapon hidden away. We want to know who in your family is uh, got a conservative viewpoint, or who's the, who, who in your family is the guy that hands out the, const the pocket constitutions on the street. You see, the idea is that the federal government never wants to do its own dirty work because there's just too there's not enough of them, even though there's more than enough, but there's not enough of them to actually do any real work, and so they live on the principle of information transfer, and the way that they get that is by applying pressure to people. And listen, it doesn't even have to be an issue of criminality. It just could be something like, well, you know what? We know that you've got a, a, a tendency towards bisexuality. And if we release that information to your friends, your entire private life would be completely devastated. And suddenly, they've got a willing informant working for them. Yeah, you know? I, I completely see that. I also say that there's... See, I spent a lot of my career in marketing, and I know the value of data when I'm framing uh, a marketing piece. So if one of the goals of the federal government happened to be to keep the population divided, duh, right? Okay, right. That's, that's, and that's a hallmark of fascism. I need to mediate the relationships between the classes and between races, in between, and, I, and I can use that as, as, as a way to further my agenda. It's a if, I, if, if I want to do that, right? And I can look at data trending from a conservative group, data trending from a liberal group, data trending from a libertarian group, data trending from you know, people that are Hispanic, data trending from females, data trending from males. In every other way, I can create these divisions from the classes. Then I can frame my message of division to meet the current sentiment of society far more accurately than could have been done 50 years ago. And... If you don't think the government is employing not just operatives, but marketers to use this information, then you're missing part of the, of the, the grand plan, so to speak. Right. And they're selling your information in order to accomplish that. By the way, they're also buying the information that they cannot get constitutionally. Where, where they cannot obtain the, the data on you uh, by, by monitoring it or, or surveillance or, or, you know, getting it, you to willfully give it to them, i.e. Obamacare, then they buy it from third-party marketers. And believe me, I mean, you know, the concept of how they're, and, and how they're identifying enemies and building this, this, you know, scapegoat culture, if you will, 
is that again is is a pure fascistic uh, approach to to how you can control a population. You know, it requires a number of things. And by the way, you know, the idea of owning and and possessing uh, control of the healthcare system in a nation is a plank of of Marxism and fascism. Because once you control that, everyone is touched by the medical system in their government in, in their nation at some point in time. I don't care whether you're you know you're one year old or a hundred years old. Everybody is touched by it, so no mm-hmm. one can escape the monitoring and the surveillance and the touch, right? And all of that data, all of that information, can be gathered together and utilized as a a method of control that you know can. I mean, if you if you look at how they're utilizing it. The, the principle of the six degrees of separation, I, I, I'm going to give you an example. If I were to sit down with you and your family and, and my family and maybe another group at a, at a dinner party, you know, just six or eight cup, uh, couples together, we're all at a party. And I lifted my phone off my hip and I set it down on the table and I said, by the way, for the record, by the way, everything that we go that we talk about going forward is going to be videotaped and audio taped. You would see a change come over the tone and the tenor. Of every everything would fall back to well, how's the weather over on Europe? What do you think of them Yankees? <laughs> I mean, it would have it, the entire substance of everything that we do would change, and that's why when I, when I say to people, you know, just because you don't think you have anything to fear, doesn't mean that you are that you are outside the scope of of surveillance and suspicion, because everyone is a means to get to someone else. Everyone is a pathway in the mesh network, if you will, so that. Those that they want to get through to, they can. And, and whether, if they have to use you to get there or use you to identify them or use you to, in some way, shape, or form, be connected to them, you know, there is no way that you can avoid being reviewed or previewed and, and profiled. And profiles are so extraordinarily valuable to, uh, government and, I mean, look, you can, you can identify, uh, and, and you know that, in law enforcement, as an example, they utilize profiles to try to sort through the myriad potential suspects for uh, things like mass killings and things like that. Right. Those sure. profiles are extraordinarily valuable and people don't realize the depth of which that profile can can draw a picture of them. Then you combine that with what you talked about earlier in marketing data and information. And suddenly you've got an extraordinarily accurate artist rendition of who you are and what you do. And then the wedge can be found to manipulate you in whatever way is necessary. And I manipulate in multiple ways. This is where people lose it and don't get it. I can manipulate at the individual level. I can manipulate at the party level. I can manipulate at the racial level. I can manipulate at the gender barrier. I can manipulate at the age barrier. I can see it's it's an endless possibility. And if I was selling widgets as a marketer, this is like whoa. If I'm selling tyranny. Then it's frightening what can be done with this data. And you're right. They're also sourcing the data from other things. So right now I'm sitting looking at, because I had to transfer some money at my, my electronic bank account, and my wife's out shopping. And I can look at recent activity and go, well, she's been to Albertsons, and I know which Albertsons. Right. Okay, so if they can get my banking data, they know that. Sure. Right? And, and then we, we add things to it, like what's coming next is a mileage tax that's being tested in a lot of places and it's oh because hybrids are so fuel efficient which they've told us they wanted for you know years uh that they get and they're still tearing up the roads but you're not you know contributing and other nonsense and if you're tracking mileage you're tracking where people are going and you're getting very quickly to a point 
where, where they know exactly where everybody is when they're there, and they say, well, they don't have the time to worry about where you know I am at three o'clock on Tuesday. Well, they do the second they want to know the data is there, exactly. and they do they have the ability to manage it as a herd management system where they know that generally speaking, people like this are in this area at this time. Right, and I don't think most people that haven't had a strategic background in data manipulation or data mining or marketing, those are three areas where I think people that have had that, when they see this, they get it. And I think most other people don't because they don't understand. Well, like when I was in, you know, uh, telecommunications and we did direct mail, how we would take a list of 500,000 people and come up with the exact 10,000 best people to know to hit with a direct mail piece. Sure. It's all if I could do it with direct mail, buddy. Turn on the, the power of the state of for- and, and the, and the uh, use of force, and guess what I can do with it? Right. It, it, perfect example. Demographics work in television programming, and they call it programming, by the way, for a reason. But, demogra- I mean, you can flip channels, and you won't see the same commercials on those channels. Why? Because they know that there's a certain group of people, either in an income uh, strata or, or in an age group or in a political belief system or in a whatever it is, they they recognize what that demographic is interested in, and they market to that demographic. That's why you see a commercial on channel on channel X that you don't see on channel Y, because the demographics of channel X are different. You know, if they if if all you watch is sitcoms, the commercials are totally different than you'd see on a news channel. <laughs> and and guess what? That came from profiling, of course, marketing and demographic information and. Listen, government utilizes marketing and demographic information even better than marketers do. Oh, absolutely, because they have a marketer must be profitable. A statist only need take more money to fund their project. And and if they can't take it, they'll print it. So they have an unlimited budget with no accountability for profitability and and resources that are far beyond what any major marketing firm has. Plus they can tie into everything the marketers have because they can pull that data too. And so they, and they have, it would be like Goodyear having access to Michelin's database and then knowing how to specifically market to Michelin's customers. But one other aspect to this that escapes that whole analogy is that they don't have to be ethical and 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 correct. Ethical. In other words, their goal is is definitely nefarious. I mean, there's no other way to look at it, right? If they're going to use this information, it's definitely not going to be for your best interest. That's the simple truth of it. It is not going to be used for your best interest. There is no way that all of this data can end can have an end result that benefits you. No, there isn't. And like you said, you gave that challenge already to people, and, and no one's taking you up on it. Because what could there be beneficial to you individually to have everything you've ever done um, recorded? Right. And available to your leadership and to and let's let's look at this one completely other world view, I guess, if you want to call it that. So there are people who believe there's no way that any uh, you know foreign power could ever take over the United States. I have a word for those people. It's delusional. Um, most nations sooner or later end up at war with the wrong enemy. Right. Let's say that our government was full of really good guys that rode unicorns to work and gave flowers to orphans on the way there and loved everybody. Peace, love, and harmony and would never do anything bad with this information, which we know is completely ridiculous. If we have the potential for anybody 
other than those guys to get that data, it's just as dangerous. Whether it's from an invasion or a hack. And how about the government of China having all this information? And not to mention, how about the next administration? Sure. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Well, there you go into the dichotomy again, where like it's amazing to me that that liberals will give a pass to Obama for doing the same thing that Bush did that they were outright raised by. And conservatives will rail on Obama for doing many of the same things that Bush did. And, and so they think, well, as long as my guy's in charge, this is okay. Well, guess what? This country don't work that way. We flip this power structure, you know, every four to eight years, there's major changes in who's in charge, which, which mafiosa family is in charge. And yeah, you're right. Who knows what, what future regime in this nation could gain access to this data? And, and, and the reality is that all of their, their, uh, you know, com complaints and arguments against it, it's all faux kabuki theater. Sure it is. I mean, the truth, they're just happy to have it as well, because they figure at some point in time, even if it's not really in their hands today, they'll get access to it and they'll be able to utilize it for their own, you know, nefarious scheme, if you will. And ultimately, what it really comes down to is we at this point have been so beaten down into the idea that government is the, you know, cradle to the grave uh, salvation. I mean, you've got 40 percent of America that is on on antidepressants. You've got another 50% that either are, are compromised because they're getting benefits or they, they are voting from, from the, from the largesse of the tre public treasury into their pocket. So they're no longer objective. Then you have another, and there's some overlap there. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say it's only 60% of the population. Then you've got another 20 to 25% who either work for government or are directly dependent upon government for their own personal largesse. And so suddenly you've got 80 to 85 percent of the entire nation that is no longer voting objectively and, and is no longer even looking at the issues objectively because they don't want to look at any issue that might threaten their own survivability and their own their own comfort zone. And so you're talking about what, 15 to 20 percent of the population is actually willing to be intellectually honest and look at things in an objective viewpoint. It's almost impossible to recognize the, the realities of things when you when you have it th from that perspective, and we end up with a society that's debating crap like gay marriage while the nation's seventeen freaking trillion dollars in debt, and and they're not like that doesn't even begin to make a dent as a problem for them or some other social issue about somebody doing something that doesn't affect you, and 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 you've got politicians that just lather those arguments up as though they're actually germane to the future of the nation. When people should be free to do whatever the hell they want as long as they're not hurting anybody else, that's one of the founding principles of this country. That, that my, you know, I'm not actually doing anything wrong until I'm doing something that directly affects you or harms you. That, right. that a crime must have a victim, and we're taking victimless stuff, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. We're making it core issue while the nation burns. Right. right. I, and a perfect example. You know, I put I put up an article the other day that came from a study that uh, said pot smokers who quit find it hard to function. Right. In other words, without it, they it takes them a while for their mind to clear and for them. And I'm, a, I'm as I said, I'm a fan of the critical thinking thing. And so I just put up a, a little blurb on my Facebook page, uh, which is Facebook.com forward slash America's Voice. Now, I said, you've heard me reiterate this often enough. Pot makes you apathetic and anesthetized. If you're a user and you expect to be a critical thinker and a valid participant in the war for liberty and freedom and the restoration of our nation, you've got to quit. And I had somebody take issue with me and say, oh, it, you know, it doesn't make you apathetic and anesthetized. 
after the buzz is gone, it's, it, I said, well, stop right there. I'm not passing judgment on legality. I don't really care whether you smoke it or not. I'm just saying that I don't do, I don't use it. And my own personal experience shows me that it's detrimental to you. Now, if you want to smoke pot, listen, I, from that perspective, you can do whatever you want. You can sleep with who you want. You can abort a baby if that's what you want to do. It's not my place to tell you what you can and cannot do. What I am saying to you is that if it's detrimental to your ability to function and think, if it's detrimental to your ability to, ap- to, to operate as a, as a, a sentient living human being, then you have to admit that it can't necessarily, even though, I mean, we can do a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily mean we should, <laughs> you know? I mean, there's a, there comes a point in time in which self-interest and self-preservation have to actually take the cake. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that if you smoke pot that you're a bad person. I'm just saying that you can't possibly be at your highest and best use as that 15 or 20 percent of the population who is looking to restore liberty and freedom and, and, and the rule of law and the Constitution and put it back in its rightful place in the nation if you're constantly walking around in a fog. And, and you know, if you want to smoke pot, that's your business. I don't care. I couldn't care less, really. I really, I, you know, to me, the, the idea of throwing somebody in prison for smoking weed is ridiculous. It's um, one of the stupidest things we do in society today. It is really a moronic uh, misappropriation of resources and it's 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 not the problem that government makes it out to be, but I mean it's it's also like okay for instance I advise people to not eat GMO foods, but I don't want to pass a law that says you're not allowed to eat them. Exactly. But I do know they're detrimental to your body. I would very much like to see truth in 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 marketing where people if they're selling you a genetically modified things that's been sprayed have to tell you that exactly. just so if they're going to put the ingredients on there let's add glyphosate to the ingredients right so, so but I don't want to pass a law that says you can't eat it if that's what you want to feed upon right and, but and, I I have an obligation to tell you it's not good for you right and 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 again the same thing goes with you know all illegal drugs frankly I mean look you know I I think, I think, frankly, you know, our dependence on government is an addiction stronger than heroin. The truth of the matter is that, you know, what we have is a nation that has become addicted to someone else telling them what to do. Our schools drum out the idea of learning critical thinking concepts, and they, they have, have, you know, sort of indoctrinated our children into thinking that, if we tell you what to do, you will do it. And if we don't tell you what to do, you'll wait there until we tell you to move. You know, it's like yeah. that, old, that old adage, if I want, when I want your opinion, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> you know? Well, this is what I call it. And I've seen this as a business person for years, and it frustrates the hell out of me. You hire a person that's really an intelligent person that has good skills, that should be able to do the job you give them cold. You get them trained up for a couple of weeks, and you give them a task. That task is contingent upon a couple of things. You come back to them, the task has been taken to 40% fruition, and nothing has been done after that. And they've been sitting on their ass for three hours. Not because they're lazy, because they don't know what to do. One item that was supposed to be there wasn't, and they're waiting for direction. Right. I call this the person that could not make chicken soup without the parsley if the recipe calls for parsley. Exactly. They can't just go forward. They, they're, they're literally stuck. Like one of those, you know, um, like those little animals they had, like robots that would like walk into a wall and keep bouncing back and forth, and they cannot function until you reset them and say, just don't worry about it, don't use the parsley, or use this instead, or call this guy and find out. They can't function anymore, and these are intelligent people. Like the best I could find out of 80 applicants 
Which means the guy that was at the bottom of the heap when I never even interviewed him, my God, what can this person possibly do without the parsley? And I've had people tell me, I don't know why I'm that way. And I'm like, well, I do, but you probably won't believe me. Right. Or you don't want to hear me. <laughs> you don't want to hear it. Yeah. But, you know, Jack, that, that's the difference between a critical thinker and a linear thinker, right? The linear thinker says everything has to be done in this order. And if, God forbid, the order is out of place for some reason, everything has to stop until it gets resolved. And the critical thinker says, okay, I can put this one aside until, the, until that particular, another box of those bolts arrives, <laughs> if you yeah. will, because yeah. I'm out of bolts. And so I, I can still move forward, though, and I can go to another step, and then I'll come back and I'll put the bolts in when somebody brings me a box of bolts. But it doesn't mean that the entire production line has to stop until such time as another box of bolts arrives. I sit there with a frown on my face wondering why I don't have any bolts and blaming somebody else for my problem. Right. That's, that's what we've been led to believe. So we've talked a lot about the problem. We're, we're over an hour, so let's start heading toward what we can do. Um, th- you know, there's been a pretty big move toward, like, massive, peaceful civil disobedience. Yep. Is that a solution to the problem? I believe, actually, that it, there's only two solutions to the problem. There's two outcomes that are going to occur now. One is going to be a rise up of massive, peaceful civil disobedience, i.e., you know, on the order of what happened in Egypt, where you, I mean, and to be honest with you, they're showing us up. 33 million out of 85 million people marched on their government and said, we're not going to take it anymore. The, their biggest problem was they didn't have a plan of action to replace that corrupt organization with a group of people that were really truly had the people's interest at heart and what ended up happening is in the immediate vacuum and and nature abhors a vacuum what slid in there was their military which just became another dictatorship but what we need to do in the united states of america is recognize that civil peaceful and massive civil disobedience is the only alternative we have short of waiting for the roof to cave in, the pillar of freedom, which holds up the roof of liberty in, in the world. But when that comes crashing down, the only alternative to that is what our founders gave us as their best understood principle of mutually assured destruction, and that's the Second Amendment. It's never intended to be used. It was meant to be a deterrent. Unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where we are actually having to consider that as, an, as a viable, viable option, just like we had to when we were sitting there, you know, face to face with the Russians and face to face with, you know, whoever else owned the nuclear weapon. I mean, the idea that we can resolve this in a political arena is completely outside the scope of reality. Anyone who thinks that we can vote people in to, to who are going to suddenly have this, you know, ride in to, to use your analogy, which I loved, by the way of, you know, riding in on unicorns every day and handing out flowers all the way is, is absurd. There is no white, there is no white steed. There's no knight in shining armor who's going to ride to our defense and save us. It's going to be us. And the only way that we're going to accomplish that is to literally say we are going to accomplish two things. One, we're going to starve the beast because this beast feeds on one thing, our money. Without money, it doesn't even have the ability to enforce your enslavement correct and so if we have to stop the beast the only way to stop listen it's so well developed at this point that our swords and our spears are useless against its steel armor and so the only one way we can get to it is to starve it to death you know we tried the idea well let's get eaten by the beast and then we'll cut it to death from the inside well all everybody we shoved inside never made it down the gullet and made it out alive so Ultimately, we are now down to the scenario where we have to do the, the, the other 
solution, which is to starve the beast to death. And we have to be, I got to tell you, that's not going to be a pretty picture. We have to be prepared for trouble and discomfort and cold and fear and hunger. But we also have to be eminently prepared for success in restoring our nation to a rule of law and to morals and ethics and honesty and integrity. And we have to be courageous enough to take this hard and painful task on and bring order out of the chaos that exists. But unfortunately, I'm not sure that Americans at this stage in the game are actually prepared to go there yet. I don't think they're prepared to even understand that it's true yet. I had a guy on the air a while ago, and I'll, I'll share with you in brief what, what we talked about. And for audience members that didn't hear that interview, because some people still think we can just get the right people in there. You can't put good gasoline into a broken car and get it to go down the road. You can't. It, it doesn't matter, right? So here's how the system is broken in a way. And you know, since you're on mainstream radio, I'd like to hear somebody in mainstream radio talk about this. It's called a party dues system. So in the House of Representatives, let's say you decide you're going to make a difference, and you believe all the things you just told me, Michael, and you run and you get elected, and you're a new freshman congressman, and you show up, and you're, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, it works the exact same way, and you think, I'm ready to take on the world and do what I promised. The first thing that happens is a party leader walks up to you and hands you a bill. Exactly. That bill is for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it's your, basically it's your party dues. And you go, I don't have a quarter million dollars. What am I supposed to do? They give you a list. And they send you off to do a telemarketing job that a $9.50 an hour telemarketer does every day. To call party donors and raise that money. And you yep. say, I don't want to do it. You can't make me. And they say, no problem. You'll but never get a bill passed. and You'll, you'll never get a bill passed. You'll never get a seat on a committee. You'll never be a co-sponsor on a bill. All you do is show up on the day we vote, and you get to say I or nay, and that's it. And you're frozen out. And yep. until you raise that money, you can't do anything. So you think, well, I mean, I did run as a Republican or a Democrat. They did put money into my campaign. This is how the system works, so you go do that. You're calling a list of people they've given you for a reason. You're now on the hook to those people as well. You get done with that, and maybe you get a minor assignment to a minor committee. And then you want to sponsor a bill. They give you, and there's actually a price list for the committee assignments as to how much you have to raise to get those committee assignments. That's institutionalized corruption. And it's completely known, but no one talks about it. And I don't think it needs to be talked about very long. I think it just needs to be exposed to the American people enough to where they'll lose faith in the belief that your, your pony will win the race. Because right. it ain't happening. Not in that system. It can't. The, the, the problem that we have at this stage in the game is that our nation is literally on the verge of collapse. And I don't think, you know, just to just to close the door on can we solve this politically, I don't think it's going to happen. One, I don't think we have the time frame to enable it to happen, even if we chose to, to try to take that route. Because, you know, Obama is only the, the last of, of, a, of a, a breed of traitors you know, he's like he's like the runner in, in the race where they hand off the baton, right? He's just the latest guy to get the baton, dude. That is a great analogy. Exactly. And But you know what the difference is between him and every other trader that's been before him? He can actually see the tape across the finish line. Yeah, he's a good finisher. He's the anchor man. He's the sprint runner, exactly. And they're yeah. utilizing him for exactly that. Our national currency is on the verge of collapse with the Federal Reserve diluting our currency. Administrative agencies actually are so far out, I mean, you know, it's like a power of attorney that we gave to the Congress to, to, 
and then they handed that off to, to you know, it would be like me saying to you, Jack, listen, I got, I got a real estate deal I got to close. Uh, I, I don't, I can't be there, so I'm going to give you power of attorney to act on my behalf. Here's my checkbook and my authority to sign. And then you turn around and say, well, I'm going to the beach that day. I'm going to give it to my cousin, Charlie, who you know is a, is a irrepressible heroin addict. And so he takes off and he goes to the closing and he, while he's there, he signs the, 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 he closes the deal and then puts the house in his own account. And then he takes my checkbook and he writes himself a ticket and he goes off to, to Barbados with his girlfriend and a, and a, 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 a kilo of dope in my name, right? This is essentially what administrative agencies have become. We never gave them a power of attorney that they had the authority to hand off to someone else and subdelegate. So these administrative agencies are destroying our nation. The IRS is bleeding us to death. The presidency is, for all intents and purposes, it's a dictatorship at this point. And, you know, we have to acknowledge where we are. And that the only solution that's really going to come out of all of this is that we have to take a position where we are demanding that our nation be restored to a position of honesty and integrity and, and back to a constitutional foundation where money isn't the rule of the day and they don't have the right. The only way we're going to do that is by a massive, peaceful, civil uprising. And I got to tell you, there, there was a quote from a guy who, uh, you know, he gets quoted a lot, but I never hear this one publicly. And, I, and, and I'm going to read it because it's, it's so valuable. Still. If you will not fight for the right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may even be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than live as a slave. That was Winston Churchill. And, you know, you hear all kinds of, you know, never give up, never give up, never give up. I'll tell you what, we are at the point right now where we can win without bloodshed, where we can win this fight and victory is sure for us. And it will not be too terribly costly, at least not in terms of lives. But we're rapidly approaching the point where we will no longer have the opportunity to fight this with the odds on our side. It's going the odds are going to be against us and we will have a precarious chance of survival at that stage. And when that occurs, we will then have to, if we don't take the massive, peaceful, civil, disobedient route, starve the beast, stop all commerce, and basically, you know, bring the thing to its knees, then we are going to look at, at, at the next step in that evolution, which is the complete and utter destruction of our own union and our own republic in what will become a civil war utilizing the Second Amendment for what it was ultimately created as a deterrent for. It is the principle of mutually assured destruction because it's never meant to be used. It was Correct. It was meant Correct. to keep the government in fear of us. And yet Where they would just they wouldn't do it because oh my god, if we do this, they're gonna freaking snap out and they're gonna hang us in the streets. And just, and we don't want to be but they've gotten to a point now where it's 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 almost ridiculous to believe that that would work unless you get the oath keepers vibe going and the people they're they're depending on to be their enforcers either turn around or, or just simply step out of the way. But see, that's where the, that's where the surveillance state comes in. They yeah. are gearing up for exactly that, and that's why they need that edge. That's why they need drones and some 18-year-old some kid flying it that'll do whatever he's told as long as they feed him ho-hos, ding-dongs, and, and soda pop. Bingo. And, 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 and with the information and the data that they're compiling and the profiles they're building, they won't have any trouble identifying who is the, who is the problem. Right. Who's the problem child we got to get rid of? Who are the leaders? Guys like you, guys like me. 
Uh, well, we're easy because whether they encrypt me or they, you know, they get my data or not, they, I'm here every day. You're here every day. Um, they want to find the, 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 the gray man leaders. They want to get those guys because th- there's the, the gray man leader has a lot more pull in some ways than the, the open leader does because he's more like a guerrilla operative and they're after those. I think that we have to, like you're talking about peaceful resistance. I think we have to do what we call in permaculture function stacking where we start doing like instead of a march, okay, marches are fine, but you know they always end and people go home. We need to figure out multiple ways of resistance. So somebody just bounced this off me at a, at a class I was at this this weekend. He said you should encrypt everything that you're doing on the internet, and I'm like, I'm a public figure. They know everything I'm doing anyway. He goes, no, you should do it. Your dog should do it. Your mom should do it. Your kids should do it. Everybody, every American should be encrypting every piece of data that they're, you know, every search they're making, every email they send. And he's like, and I have a reason you probably never thought of. And I'm like, okay, why? He's like, and this guy knows government systems, right? He's like, a brute force decryption on the simplest encryption algorithms that are available to the public takes about a year for the government to get through that encryption. Right. If you were, you know, encrypting, commenting about how cute a kitty is, sure, and they're encrypting your 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 they, shopping list to your wife, you will. If we could get a couple million people doing that, you will take the resources. Just whoa, right. and, and I think that's one start. But I think we need as many things like that as we can, and then we need to make it where the average person goes. That sounds complicated. You know, get this, get this, and get that. Turn it on, and don't do whatever you normally do. Right. That's the problem is we don't have a we don't have a simple. And, and to be honest with you, everybody's so busy just trying to make ends meet and, and make a living. They don't have time for it. They don't have time for it. Right. So it has to be simple enough that, you know, when you flip the power switch on your computer, everything is automatically encrypted because you're right. They target that encrypted data under the concept in the guise that that information is already suspect. Because Just because it's, it's encrypted. encrypted, correct. So therefore, what you're ending, you know, it's like loading up the court system with a bunch of frivolous lawsuits because, you know, eventually you bring you you bring the thing down under it under the weight. And I I don't disagree with that. But I, and, and you're right; those types of efforts combined together, along with, you know, change your W two or W nine so that you are not leaving lending the government money tax free. Sure. I would use or interest free. Write them. Would, a, that's what I do. I write them a check for like at the end of the year. I end up giving them like an extra four or five grand. Right. Find right. out who you can barter with, so that you are avoiding taxation altogether. Correct. Stop, Correct. A, a, a basket of things money. over the over the fence for a basket of apples generates no revenue. Exactly. Stop spending money on frivolous nonsense. You know, seventy percent of our economy is made up purely of consumerism iPads and toys and gadgetry and garbage. Stop buying that. Or if you're going to buy one, buy it used so the tax is only charged once. So, you know, the idea is we have to hit it on multiple fronts. This is a diamond. And in order to bust a diamond, you got to hit every facet multiple times with, with strength and force. And so, you know, if we can work towards, towards doing that, if we can make sure that we are um uh, we, we broke we broke the back of a thing called the uh, the blue ways which is a department of interior opportunity they were trying to uh, take federal control of 18 million acres in the southern part of missouri and northern part of arkansas you know we we stuck a, a broomstick in their spokes as they rode by on their bicycle sure 
And and the truth is, you've got to take every opportunity to do that. And you've got to do it in a grassroots fashion. It can't just be one individual or one small group. But everybody can start doing it individually. And the sum total of that, you know, is is greater than the, the, the sum is greater than the parts, right? And, and what we have to do to do this, and, and I'm, I'm trying to formulate my kind of, you know, marketing engineering mind around this, is we have to find a way to eliminate the tensions without it directly addressing them, because the people aren't ready for it, about the divisions between, let's say, liberal and conservative. And I don't mean politicians, I mean mainstream Americans. So I can get a Democrat, dyed-in-the-wool, Obama-loving Democrat, to understand that this data collection is a bad thing. It's not his fault, somebody else, whatever. I don't care why you, as long as you get that this is bad. I can get that person to encrypt what they're doing because they're being snooped on. And I can take this the guy that voted for W twice and thought McCain would save us all from Obama or, or Romney was the right guy, and I can get him to do it too. So if you have things that you can get people doing with these passive resistance models that, that, that go across the dichotomy barrier, those and it's like how many of those things can we stack on top of each other? Because I do believe that the, the most accurate thing you've said today is the only way to do it is starve the beast, and right. that is one way you can do that. I mean, that damn data center in in Utah has already set itself on fire like four times. I mean, if, and I just I get this warm fuzzy feeling <laughs> about this operative that targets Jack Spierko and spends a year waiting for an algorithm to tell him what I did today. To find out that I told somebody their kitty was cute, right? right? And, so and ask my wife to not forget the milk, <laughs> and, and then run a bot to browse unicorn sites for 12 hours. Right. I just think that would just be wonderful. And, I mean, there's some programmers out there. Man, if you guys can simplify this to where it's an install and done, where you know, just get this thing and put it on and start, you know, and it does everything. I'm sure there's things that already do that. Somebody tell me what they are, because I didn't research it, because... Again, I didn't want to hide anything. I'm like, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Uh, I, I, you know, not I have nothing to hide. Just I'm going to be bold with it. But understanding that nuance and, and thinking about, you know, I got eighty five thousand people to listen to me every day. I don't know how many people you got, but you get a few people on this bandwagon and it starts to take off. That's one spoke, not just with a broomstick in it. You just yank that spoke out of the wheel, and right. if you yank enough spokes out, sooner or later the wheel collapses. I agree. And, 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 you know, it, it's, it, it is part and parcel. That's why I, one of the things that I push so heavily on our show is every one of us is a leader. And I, I hear people say, I'm no leader. Yes, you are. You're a leader of your family, if nothing else. You're a leader of your, of your, your brothers and your sisters. You're a leader in your church. You're a leader of the five and six guys that you have lunch with at work every day. You're a leader at the school that you attend. You don't realize it, but you don't know who you influence. You know, somebody got a hold of a little kid who was about eight years old one time. His name was Billy, and they convinced him that, that you know, Jesus Christ was Lord. And the next thing you know, the guy is the most prolific savior of souls in the world has ever known, <laughs> right? You don't know who you're contacting. You don't know what your touch matters. And, and it's so important that each one of us is out there making sure that every contact, when I go into a store, I'll look at the lady behind me just to open up the topic of di the conversation, and I'll say to her, boy, that, you know, she's got a loaded cart, and I'll say, boy, you know, that money just doesn't go as far as it used to. And she'll say, yeah, you know, she'll go to agree with me, and it opens up the door, and now I can have a conversation. And you'd be amazed how effective that can be. The only thing is that people have to be willing to stand up and have the courage of their convictions and to be willing to put themselves at some whatever 
nuanced amount of risk they perceive that to be. But the truth of the matter is, if we're not willing to do that, I got to tell you, whatever it is that you think you're protecting, your job or your farm or your home or your car or your lifestyle, let me tell you something. When this thing descends into totalitarianism, you're going to lose it all anyway, including your ability to freak, uh, speak freely, to worship in a, in, a, in a way that you like, your ability to communicate with your friends and your neighbors. I mean, a hallmark of totalitarian societies is everybody walks around whispering. Nobody has a, has a conversation in their house because they're afraid that they're being tapped and monitored. You know, we don't have to be, we don't have to be, um, uh, all of us have to be preachers. And not everybody has to have a radio show or a book to write. You can make a difference in your own small circle of influence. And most people don't understand how important that circle of influence is. Because, you know, it, it, you're probably old enough to remember the old commercial that, you know, uh, it was Herbal Essence uh, Shampoo, and, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so on, right? And it's yeah. the same idea. It's the same concept, but you have to be willing to stand up and, and take it, you know, and, and run with it. I've, I've, got a, I've got a saying that I use all the time, which is extraordinarily valuable. It's America arise. Be counted. Be fearless. Be courageous. And speak out even when your voice shakes, especially when your voice shakes. We, we have at TSP created something that I think you'll like. We call it the Sentinels. And it came to me one day, and we actually have made silver coins with this, patches with this. Um, and what I started thinking of it is, because I'm a huge supporter of the Second Amendment, as you are. I believe in the civilian militia. Uh, I don't believe we need permission for that. but And I, I really like the decree, every citizen a soldier. But when I think about that, intellectually, I realize that the average 65-year-old retired soccer mom is not going to be a soldier. Right. But a sentinel sometimes is a soldier, but is simply defined as one who stands watch. Very good. Very good. And so every citizen can be a sentinel. Every citizen can stand watch over their republic. Every citizen can stand watch over someone else that they are a little bit more equipped to deal with the problems than they can. And, and our, our, our messaging on that, on, on the back of the coin, is a Spartan shield with a modern uh, AR-15 crossed with a uh, revolutionary-era uh, musket, kind of drawing those things together. And the concept of the Spartan standing with 300 at the gates and our message was, if, if 300 can stand, what can 55 million do? Exactly. Not to mention, you know, if you're working in a government job or a government position, you know, be a sentinel within your own sphere of influence. That means when your boss is doing wrong, either point it out and educate your boss about what they're doing wrong and hold them accountable to their, their constitutional oath, or if they will not, then spill the beans on them. You know, Absolutely. It's, it's active participation, too. And a sentinel can be an active participant and make a, a massive difference as well as a passive difference. You know, we have to hold each other accountable in the sense that when we see someone doing wrong, we point it out and we, and we either challenge them or if they refuse to correct that behavior, then we, you know, we expose it because truthfully, you know, if, 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 every, if every member of Congress, every aide and staff member in Congress were to come out and say, yeah, wait until you hear this. This is what I know to be true. And I know that it's wrong. Boy, I'll tell you what. America would be, would be marching on the castle with torches and pitchforks saying, send out the monsters. 
I mean, you know, it would be impossible to to ignore it. And so we have an obligation to be individually and collectively civilly disobedient in any way, shape and form we can. And the weight, the collective weight of that, you know, one ant doesn't weigh anything. But, you know, a, a million and one ant can't eat anything. But, but, but a million ants can eat an elephant down to the bones in a matter of days. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're now you're trending on our mascot, the ant. Uh, and the, the, the mascot of the TSP community is the fire ant. With this being the concept, fire ants build their home with wanton disregard to anybody and everybody. And when they, once they build their home, they don't really jack with anybody. But if you jack with them, they jack you up. Right. And, and that's the spirit that this country needs to be back to again. The ant started out with just the story of the grasshopper and the ant, which uh, I've been saddened to have to explain that story to 60-year-old people today. Um, but that's kind of where it evolved into. That's where this, uh, this, this nation needs to be. These, the citizens need to act like fire ants. We don't need to be hiding anything. I mean, the, the passive resistance with encryption aside, but when we're speaking, we need to speak boldly. Um, and, you know, and it's about time when we started jacking some people up. Um, on that note, though, we are at about almost an hour and a half at this point, uh, Michael. So uh, I'd like to give you a chance right now for people that have liked what they've heard from you to tell folks how they can hear more from you. Sure. Well, we've got a website where folks can go. And, of course, it's, if you can remember the phrase America's Voice Now, you can pretty much find us out there. We have a website, which is americasvoicenow.org, and then we have a Facebook page, which we post up stories and articles, and I post up all the videos of all the – we actually stream the radio program live, and so okay. people can actually watch it or listen to it. And you can find that by going to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash americasvoicenow, and then we also post every one of those up on YouTube. We've got, I don't know, four or 500 YouTube videos up there. You can find those by going to youtube.com forward slash America's Voice Now. And if someone would like to contact me directly, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, our, my, my email is mike at americasvoicenow.org. We also just finished building a, stu a video studio. And we're migrating the show not just for, for radio and audio, but we're actually migrating it and developing a, a – uh, the, the ultimate goal is – and I know it's lofty, but I, I, I think big – the ultimate goal is to create an Internet television program where we have individuals who are, uh, you know, providing content that is. And I don't want to talk about the cat in the tree and the baby who fell down the well. This is all going to be, you know, constitutionally uh, conservative type thinking and thought. So it, it would be, you know, what Fox News could have, should have, would have been if they hadn't sold out to the, <laughs> to the Ministry of Propaganda. The idea being that. There is a hunger in this country that is desperate for truth, that's desperate for someone with integrity and honor to show them what's really happening. And they can't find that source anywhere else except in places like your show and mine and alternative media. So our goal is to try to develop that. If anyone out there wants to help us with that, feel free to give me an email. You can send it to me at mike at americasvoicenow.org. And I am greatly appreciative of the fact that you've allowed me to come on here and spend this much time with you and your listeners. What a great and engaging conversation. Michael, I've enjoyed having you here. You're welcome back anytime. All you got to do is fill out the guest survey again because uh, my wife, Dorothy, runs the scheduling, and I've been told multiple times it is now her schedule, not mine. And if I touch it, I get in trouble with the true... Uh, 
the true emperor right. of the of this community anyway, which is the the woman behind the man who I, I couldn't do these things without. Um, so I'd love to have you back. As far as your Facebook, your YouTube, your site, I'll make sure there's links to all of those in the show notes for folks to because there's a lot of people that. Even though this is a pre-recorded podcast, it's on an iPhone and they listen to it driving down the road. Uh, so I'll make sure those are available. So anybody that wants to uh, to uh, get that information that didn't have a chance to to write it down, all you got to do is uh, remember today's episode is uh, twelve thirty-seven. Go to the site, pull up episode twelve thirty-seven, thesurvivalpodcast.com, and you can get links to Michael and his site and all the great work that he's doing. And again, Mike, man, thanks for being with us today. Jack, thanks so much. I'm All right, folks. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico along with Michael Evans, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you